in his song, Casimir Pulaski Day, named for the Chicago holiday in early March, celebrating the Polish-born Pulaski, who fought in the American Revolutionary War. It's a big deal, by the way. It's tomorrow in Chicago. Singer-songwriter Sufjan Stevens laments the death of a young friend, questioning the intentions of a god who took our place and yet takes and takes and takes. It's worth listening to the 8-minute and 41-second song sometime, because there are beautiful, heart-wrenching verses like these. Tuesday night at the Bible study, we lift our hands and pray over your body, but nothing ever happens. At some point, every Christian has the painful experience of praying to a God who doesn't seem to be listening. Perhaps one of the most painful for our family was about 10 years ago when Sarah's mom died of a sudden, brutal resurgence of breast cancer at 58 years of age. I remember begging the Lord to spare her life. But just like the song, nothing seemed to happen. She died about a week later. There was no moment of peaceful assurance in all of this. There was no comfort from above. We were permitted to suffer through it. This happened about three months from our planned wedding day, by the way. Such experiences are not new, however. The book of Job most famously explores undeserved suffering and a God who remains silent for most of the text. And John's community certainly knew such grief. By the time John probably wrote his gospel, his community was likely in the third generation from Jesus' death and resurrection. That meant all the eyewitnesses, all eyewitnesses were probably dead by this point. John, John's legend of long, the legend about John's long life notwithstanding. Many beloved saints were gone. In addition, the expectation of a speedy return by Jesus had to be rethought at this point. The question, which is the, which is the actual title for this sermon, the question. The question, of course, is the perennial human question to God. Why? When God doesn't seem to be acting as quickly or as definitively as one might hope for, how does faith stay alive? To give strength not only to his community, but to all who experience this kind of wrenching grief, John recalled an old story about Jesus. A story in which Jesus didn't come immediately when notified. A story when Jesus permitted those he loved to suffer through death. It's a story about the death of a beloved friend, Lazarus, and his restoration to life. Jesus is at the Jordan River where John used to baptize, back where the gospel began. He seems to be taking a little respite before his final confrontation with the authorities in Jerusalem. And he gets the word that Lazarus is very ill. I don't know about you all, but Jesus gets a notification that his friend is gravely ill. When I get an email notification on my phone, I rush to answer it as quick as possible. That's not always healthy, no, but it just shows Jesus has a totally different timetable. A totally different timetable. He doesn't get up right away. He doesn't go. 
Jesus has the power to do something about it, but he waits two more days. And when he gets there, he hears, in essence, that question that every hurting human being asks. Why? Why weren't you here, Lord? Mary and Martha both speak this same heart-rending comment to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the same sadness, disappointment, and grief that every human being experiences at one point or another. If you had been here, Lord, my marriage wouldn't have ended. If you had been here, Lord, my loved one would not have died. If you had been here, Lord, I wouldn't have this illness. If you had been here, Lord, you would have stopped death and destruction in its tracks. If, if, if. Notice what Jesus does. He doesn't explain his delay to Mary and Martha. He isn't glib about it either. He's not like, well, I'm just going to raise him up. No, there's none of that. He's not angry with them for saying, for saying that to, to him. In fact, he is moved to his to the deepest, to his deepest self. Jesus goes with them to the tomb where, the, where his friend lies. Notice something else. As Jesus said to his first disciples, come and see. Way back in chapter 1, here the people echo that very invitation back to Jesus. Come and see. Back in chapter 1, beginning of the gospel, Jesus invited human beings to follow him. In effect saying, Come and see what God is like. Come and see what God is really like. Here, the invitation is reversed. Come and see, the people say, what being human is really like. And being human means living among decay. It means living among death. It means that nothing in this realm is permanent. Everything is passing away. Everything and everyone we love dies. It stinks sometimes, as it does quite literally in this text. It means being left with unanswered questions and doubts. It means living with anxieties and fears and sadness. This is where Jesus meets in stark contrast these forces that deny life. And it really gets to him. It's extraordinary. Jesus knows what he's going to do. But we're told that Jesus is greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Those words in Greek convey about as strong of an emotion as you can get. You know, Jesus is shaken in grief and in fury at the destruction wrought by the life-denying forces of evil and death. I'd like to think that at this moment, Jesus really gets what being human is all about. Jesus doesn't simply raise Lazarus up. He really grieves with those he loves. He gets it. And so this is the context for the raising of Lazarus, a context that we can all too easily gloss over. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, but it's not in a sanitary, removed sort of way. Jesus raises Lazarus in a way which directly confronts the stench of death itself. 
This is the seventh and final sign of Jesus, a sign that directly challenges death. And as we'll see, this sign is the one that triggers the authorities into marshalling all the forces of death they can against Jesus. But death does not win. It cannot win. Jesus raised Lazarus, a stunning display against the powers of the world. It is the resounding divine no to those powerful powers that kill and destroy, and a yes to human dignity, a yes to life, a yes to the love of God that conquers all. And when we are in those places of deep grief, when we're wondering why, when we say to the Lord, if you had been here, Lord, this wouldn't have happened, we remember that our Lord not only empathizes with us in every way, our Lord not only grieves deeply with us, he also defeats death's power. He removes the sting of death once and for all. That doesn't mean that death is not still painful. It means that death is ultimately put to death. Jesus brings us his beloved people back. He will call out to us, to all of those we've loved, as he called out to Lazarus, come out. Especially in times like these, we remember that. Even though the shadow of death continues to fall in parts of the world, and even though we may be grieving ourselves, even though our hope may be at a low, Jesus is faithful. Jesus takes our grief, our frustration, our anger, and the question, the perennial human question of why, and brings light out of darkness and life out of death. Jesus has defeated death. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, your Son Jesus Christ destroyed death's power. In the throes of our own griefs and fears, renew our faith, trusting that you triumph over death. In his name we pray. Amen.